So today I want to talk to you about Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. And this is just for my Uncle Patrick over here. I got a good Notre Dame story. I made sure he was back in town for this one. And I want to prove to you. Oh, tell him I'm busy. I can't take calls right now. Thanks. Titus, I'm just kidding. I need that. There's no, I, I would put some notes on that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. I forgot what I was saying. Okay. Oh, today I'm going to talk to you about Notre Dame and Georgia Tech. And I'm going to prove to you today that Jesus is a bodybuilder. That one's for Zach. Um, and I want to get you to think about your expectation. Start thinking about that while we're talking. Your expectation. I asked you last week, and we kind of ended the message with me asking you, what do you expect? What do you expect out of life? What do you expect out of yourself? What do you expect out of other people? What do you parents expect out of your kids? What, what do you expect? I want you to think about your expectation. Most of the time, you get what you expect. I mean, usually, that's how it works out. Let's read Philippians 1.18. Look what, what, look what Paul had to say. Um, actually, I'm going to start in... I'm start reading in 20. I can hardly wait to continue on my course. I don't expect to be embarrassed in the least. On the contrary... Everything happening to me in this jail only serves to make Christ more accurately known. I mean, if, if anybody had the right to be in a bad mood or to feel like things... Paul was in jail, and not only in jail, he was in a pretty bad jail, bad situation, and he didn't even really do anything to get there. But listen to his attitude. Regardless of... Whether I live or die, they didn't shut me up. They gave me a pulpit, alive. I'm Christ's messenger, and dead, I'm his bounty. Life versus even more life, I can't lose. Paul's like, it don't matter. They kill me, cool. If I'm alive, cool, I walk out my purpose. They, they can't do anything. God uses it all. Remember the scripture that said all things work together for the good of those that are called according to his purpose? Like Paul knew his purpose and he knew he was called by God. So he was at this place in life where I think all of us can go. And he was writing to the Philippians, the church at Philippi, telling them, hey, guys, this is where I'm at. This is where you can be to this place in life where. What's my choice, life or more life doesn't matter. I'm not afraid of death. Everything works together. As long as I'm alive in this body, there's good work for me to do. You woke up today, you took a breath, there's some good work for you to do. If I had to choose right now, I hardly know which one I'd choose. Hard choice. The desire to break camp here and be with Christ is powerful. Some days I can think of nothing better. But most days because of what you are going through. I'm sure that it's better for me to stick it out here. So I plan to be around a while. Companion to you as your growth and joy or strength in this life of trusting God continues. You can start looking forward to a great reunion when I come visit you again. We'll be praising Christ and enjoying each other. Paul was so full of life that it didn't matter what happened, even what they did to him, because he realized it all works out. God's that powerful that he can use it, even the pain. If they put me in jail, I'll preach. I'll worship. They threw Paul and Silas in jail, and they just started singing worship songs and the chain shook and fell off and they got free. He's like, throw me in jail. That's okay. I'll keep preaching. I'll, I'll worship. I'll, I'll write letters to the church, which is now 
Almost two-thirds of our New Testament, our Bible. That's okay. They can beat me. And I'll use the scars as an illustration. They tried to shut me up and just gave me a voice. I'm getting stronger and stronger. It's life or life that the more I sacrifice, the more I gain. My reach, my voice, my influence, my hope, my love, my strength, my joy, it just seems to get bigger and bigger. The more I pour out, the more I give away. My world gets bigger and bigger. Remember that scripture, the world of the generous just gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. Right? That's the place that Paul was at. He's just like, it doesn't matter. If I live, if I die, if they lock me up, if they beat me, I'm going to keep doing what I do. I like how he says, um, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. How it says in, the, in another translation, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's, it's just life or life. For to me, like in other words, this is where I am. I've made it to this place in Christianity. I've made it to this place in my relationship with the Father that to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm good. I'm okay. Whatever happens, like I can take it because I believe that I have sufficient courage. Like I can take whatever comes. And I also, while I'm thinking about it, um, I said something last week, and I got emotional telling y'all that story, and I was telling y'all what I expect, and uh, somebody pointed it out to me, and he was he was correct, but I, I had said in there that I expect to lose, and I don't mean that. I don't expect to lose. I always expect to win. I know I'm going to lose some in the future. I can't win everything, but I never expect to lose. So, uh... Thank you for pointing that out to me. I did not mean to say that, so I apologize for saying that. I don't ever expect to lose. That's why it hurts so bad when I did lose in that story I was telling you guys. Don't ever go into it expecting to lose. Oh, but Paul said, for, for to me, like this is where I am, this is where you can be. And I expect it out of you. If you go and read this, go and read this whole letter that Paul wrote to the Philippians, this whole, well, read the whole thing. It's a good letter. But Paul is telling them, that's what I expect out of you. Ever said that to your kids? Had a mom or a dad like, I expect that out of him, but not you. My mom and dad used to say to me, well, Levi did it. Well, I expect it out of him, but not you. I'm just kidding, not leaving. I just use his name because he's sitting up there. But really, out of other, you know, somebody else, one of your friends do something and your mom say, well, I don't expect that out of you. You know better. Uh, so that's a lot of, some of Paul's letters are like that. Like, I expect a little better out of y'all. You're supposed to be Jesus followers. You're supposed to be Christians. I, I expect that. What are your expectations? We as a worship team have been going through this little study and we talked, we finished up today a thing on accountability. What do you expect out of each other? What are your expectations? Your expectations can draw something out of someone else. They will draw something out of somebody else. And that can be a negative thing or a positive thing. Either way, what do you expect? Some people just try to give other people what they expect. They have to whole bunch of different masks that they got to put on depending on who they're around. It's exhausting. It's not life and life. It's death and death. What do you expect? So, long, long ago, there was a coach at at Notre Dame, head coach named Lou Holtz. Um, 
and he had a young man that played for him. And I read this story. It was a really cool story. Um, the guy played for him for five years. He was there. And the first year, he was red-shirted. And then the next four years, he started on special teams. Uh, and every single game, his dad had season's tickets, and his dad was on the fourth row up, and everybody knew where his dad sat, and his dad was just so proud that his son was playing college ball. Right, And so it came to the last week of the season, and the dad had been really sick, and long story short, dad goes into the hospital, so the son takes off to head to the hospital, and he ends up in the hospital, and the dad passed away, and they had a funeral, and this kid missed the whole week of practice. And so he came back to the coach, to, to Lou Holtz, and he's like, hey, um, I, you know, thank you for the flowers and everything. And the coach said to him, like, you just, you, you know my policy, you missed practice all week. You're not playing Saturday. And it was the last game of his senior year, but he already knew the rule. Like, he knew that's what the coach was going to say. So he said, yeah, I understand. Uh, I understand why I'm not playing. That's not why I wanted to meet with you. I just wanted to meet with you and say thank you for the coaching and thank you for giving me the opportunity. And it meant so much to me and so much to my dad that I got to play for the for you for the last five years and for this college and, so the coach said, no problem, you're a great young man, you've worked hard, see ya. And coach, I guess he, he had talked to his wife, and, and the coach, Lou Holtz, tells the story that he went home and that every single night after a long day at the school and of coaching, he would come home and his wife was a great cook, and he would come home and she always had dinner for him. He walks in the door, doesn't smell any dinner. Walks over and looks in the dining room. No plates are set on the table. He's like, what in the world? Honey, is everything okay? She said, yes, everything's fine. Why? He walks and looks in the kitchen. He said, there's no dinner. She said, yeah, go back and look in the dining room. And he went back and looked. And that young man's jersey was draped over his chair. She said, when you take his game jersey and go to his dorm room and tell him that he's playing tomorrow, then you can have some dinner. And I'm not going to be cooking you dinner. If you don't do it, you won't get any more dinner from me ever again. He said, what, are you kidding me? If, if I do that, then other players are going to think they can miss weeks. She said, you heard me. He grabbed the jersey and stomped out the door goes up to the kid's dorm room and he knocks on the door and the kid opened up the door and said, coach, what are you doing here? And he throws the jersey at him and said, you're starting tomorrow. Turned around to walk off and the kid was like, what happened? And he said, don't talk to me, I'm hungry. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> kid said, all right, I'm playing. So the next day, he goes out there and, and they go to start the game and the very first play of the game... Remember, he plays on the special teams. So the kickoff team goes out, and uh, the very first play of the game, he runs down and he hits one of the Georgia Tech players so hard that the guy fumbles the ball. And then he jumps up, picks up the fumble himself, and runs it back for a touchdown. Automatically, 6 nothing. Then they kick the extra point, so it's 7 nothing, And nobody else has done anything but him so far. So the coach gets this kind of crazy idea, and he tells his defensive coordinator, leave him in on defense. I want him to play the whole game. This is the last game. He's a senior, whatever. Let him, let him play the whole game. So defensive coordinator says, you got it, coach. So he calls over one of his linebackers, who was a freshman, and he called him over and said, hey, you're sitting this one out. He's going to play linebacker. The guy's like, yes, sir. He goes and sits down. And so the game goes on. And during this game, let me make sure I tell it to you right. He was playing linebacker. He got two interceptions, three sacks, 
eight solo tackles, a bunch of assists, and another fumble recovery besides the first one that he ran back for a touchdown. And they end up winning the game, and they go into the locker room, and guys are going crazy and hitting him on the helmet, and they go in there, and they sit down, and the coach is just like, what in the world? Now, he's not even started on, on the defense in five years. He's never even... And so the coach takes the game ball and was like, everybody can probably imagine who's getting this game ball today, who's the best player we had out, and everybody's like cheering his name and stuff. And he coach hands him the game ball and says, now I want you to take off that helmet and tell all these players and me what the heck happened today. How did you play ball like that? I've, I've been coaching you for five years, and I've never – you're a good ball player, you're a good athlete, you work hard. I've never seen you play like you played today. What in the world happened? He said, well, most of y'all know how passionate my dad was and that he expected me to be a good football player. Well, yeah, yeah. And he said, and most of y'all also know that my dad came to every game, but he was blind. He would get led into his seat every time. And after Coach came by my dorm room last night and handed me that jersey and I was thinking about playing today, I realized that this will be the first time he gets to see me play. And he expects me to be the best one on the field. Your expectations will change somebody else's actions. His dad expected him to be great. And it pulled something out of him that was in there all along. It wasn't like he went to the weight room the night before and hit it real hard and got stronger. But that greatness was in there. And it was pulled out by expectation of someone. You know how big of an effect you have on the lives of the people Connected to you, under your influence, around you. Pulled something out of him that was in there all along. It was inside of him. Paul expected great things out of the Philippians, and I expect great things out of you. And we will go to war on behalf of humanity because it's what Jesus did. And we want to look like him. Ever been the, maybe you've been the older sibling or you've had, either way, maybe you've been the younger one that always wants to do whatever the older one's doing. Tag along. That's what I want to be with Jesus. Like whatever he did, I want to do it. So he went to the cross, he sacrificed, he, he went to war on behalf of humanity, then so will I. Well, what, what exactly did Jesus do? Sacrificed everything all the way up until the end. Why? Love. Love of the Father. Love of people. Great sacrifice equals great love. God so loved the world that He sacrificed. He gave the most valuable thing he had. Did you know you build what you love? Whether you know it or not, in your life, you're building what you love. And when you look back on your life, you can tell what you loved, what you poured into. And some people love things, and their whole life becomes about collecting their things. I don't want to start naming things to get too specific. But if you look at your life and at your checkbook and at your time, your time, your talents, your treasures, you can tell what you love by what you build. What are you building in your life? We're all creators. We're created in God's image. But what will you create? 
You build what you love. When you look at back at your life, and as time goes by, it becomes more and more obvious what you loved. Could be fame, education, maybe family stuff. You give me about 10 minutes to look at your Facebook page. I can look at the page that you've built and just scroll down through it and tell you what you love or what you've built there. You are a creator and you're building something every day. You're building relationships. You're building things with your word. You're building you build what you love. Look at Matthew 16, 18. This is when, just to catch you up on the story, give you a little bit of context, when Jesus was with all the disciples and He said, who do men say that I am? And they start just saying all kind of stuff like, oh, some say Elias and some say John the Baptist and some say this, this. And Jesus is like, wait, wait. I said, who do you, who do you say that I am? And then Peter heard from God and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so Jesus is like, ding, 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 ding. Yep, you got it right. Verse 18, And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, Peter, a piece of the rock. And upon this rock, what rock? Revelation knowledge that a man could hear from God, that Peter heard from God, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You know, if you got a pickup truck sitting outside and you don't have any keys, it's not doing you much good. You can't haul anything, you can't pull anything, you can't get anywhere in it. You want to be useful and powerful in the kingdom. You're going to need the keys. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So Peter saw who Jesus really was. He saw Jesus. You're the Christ, the son of the living God. He, he saw who Jesus was. And then Jesus immediately told him who he was. Oh, you saw who I am? Oh, well, you're Peter, a piece of the rock. And then he told him what he was going to do. I'm going to need you to help build my church. Jesus told him who he was and then what he would do. A lot of times we want to seek after what we're going to do first or we want to try to find out what it is we're going to do and or then we have identity crisis and we try to figure out who we are and get told who we are and read self-help books. But if we find out who God really is, then He tells us who we are and then we know what to do. If we'd seek Him and find out who He is and see His face and get a, a clear revelation of who God really is, then... He tells us who we are, and we know what to do. I want to see a new thing and get the order right. He is, I am, therefore I must. We know what we need to do. Speak what He is. That got me thinking where Jesus said, I will build my church. Um, Jesus didn't build anything. Like He didn't build any buildings, and there are no artifacts that they can prove that Jesus made or built, and He didn't hold any world records or, you know, place. He didn't, he didn't build a building. He didn't build a house. Jesus didn't even write any books. A bunch of, I mean, we've got all kinds of writings and books about him, but he didn't write any of them, which I was really happy to find out about because 
several people have asked me about writing a book because apparently that's the cool thing for preachers to do is to write a book and you try to sell your book and stuff. And uh, I'm not going to write a book. So, <laughs> nah, probably not. Now that I say not, then I'll probably have to later in life. But right now I'm going to say, no, I'm not going to write a book. But Jesus lived his life in such a big way such a powerful way, had so much life that other people that were around him wrote books about him and for him. I'd rather do that. And nothing wrong with writing a book because that might be your living life and your powerful, if that's what you're called to do. Don't, I'm not saying anything about That's awesome. But I want to live my life in such a way with expectation like Paul was talking about to where I leave a mark. I leave the world a better place. I, I help humanity. I. So some of y'all can write some books. Don't make me look too bad. I want to live my life in such a way that people will write about it. So you build what you love. Jesus said, I will build my church. The church is not a building. We know that. Church is people. It's His body, His people connecting. We gather. I mean, gather is what we do on Sunday mornings. We all just show up and anybody comes in and anybody's welcome. We, we gather, but then we connect. You connect to the piece of the puzzle that you're supposed to be connected to. We gather, connect, and then we serve. Serve somewhere, serve somebody, help somebody, contribute to the bigger good, walk up and we give of our money that represents our time. We, we serve. Why? Because that's how you change the world. I can show you a hundred different scriptures on it. We gather, we connect, we serve, and together we can change the world. Colossians tells us, I won't turn there, but it's familiar, I'm sure, to you that Colossians tells us that Jesus is the head and the church is the body. You've heard the church referred to as the body of Christ. So the church is Jesus' body, right? And Jesus said, I will build my church. That's where I came up with that Jesus was a bodybuilder. All right. You build what you love. Jesus loved people. He loved His people connecting and being the church and being the hands and feet of His Father, a visible picture to the world of what God looks like, what real love looked like. You can see what you love by looking at what you build. There was this guy named David in the Old Testament, little David that killed Goliath and dude that went from shepherd to king, started from the bottom, now he's here in the palace. But then at one point in his career, he got a big head. He started believing his own press. He started thinking that he was a bad boy and he, he got there and he took all this by himself and he won all these wars and he was probably the greatest warrior that Israel had ever known. Like, he took more land. He defeated more enemies. Like he, Yeah, he was a bad boy. Well, he started believing it. And so he got this great plan that he was going to number the army, that he was going to count the armies, and he knew he wasn't supposed to do that. It was a sign that he was trusting in himself and his armies and his strategic warfare over God. And... Some of his captains came to him and said, David, don't do this. They came and gave him advice. Don't do it. So he ignored them. Talked to other people, whatever. No, I'm the king. I can do it. I, no. Number them. I want to know how many. They gave him some advice, but he wouldn't listen.
How many people have come to you and given you advice? People that you've set up in your life. You know, David appointed those captains and those men that were over his army for a reason, and they're coming to him and telling him, hold up. No, don't do this. And he did. He already decided what he was going to do. I like how most of us, well, when somebody comes and tells us something like that, no, you don't need to do this. Well, we go seek another opinion. I'm going to ask someone else, and our favorite scripture to use when we're doing that is, there is wisdom in a multitude of counsel. Are you really looking for advice, or are you looking for agreement? If you've got to ask around about five or six different people before you finally get somebody to agree with you, then your plan's not good. You're crazy. Advice. They came to him. He said, no. Hey, my heart's desire. I don't know why. Crazy. It's because I lost whatever. I wanted to fight again and brawl for a cause this year. And training's not fun, and it's not fun to get in there and get hit in the face and all that. I don't know why. Save you the time of asking me. But I really wanted to do it. And something was said at a lunch that me and Jesse had with, with my pastor, Pastor Bruce, and Jesse was under the opinion that he was thinking that I shouldn't fight this year. Man, I went back and forth with it, and I was like, yeah, but I want to. I think it's what I need to do. I've to, and Jesse was like, well, is it? Does God want you to? Is it the right thing for you to do, or is it just something you want to do for you? So I'm, I really, I prayed about it and thought about it. And then I said to Jesse, I'll ask Bruce. And if he says, no, sit this one out, I'll sit it out. And if he says, yeah, you should do it, I'll do it. And I was like, oh, God, please, 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 please <laughs> say it. And he said, no, I want you to do it. Do it. Let's do it together. So it was just a misunderstanding of something that was said earlier, but it's hard to trust people in your life enough to, even when you really want something, if they told you, hey, you don't need to do that, to trust that they're hearing or seeing something. because, And, and it's really hard to take a step back and look, but usually when you want something really bad, your judgment's not that good. And it's hard for you to hear God. Even if it is God, because you want it so bad, your feelings are so strong that First John tells us that God's the only thing stronger than your heart or your feelings. You need to listen to the counsel, people that God's placed in your life. If you go to multiple different people looking for counsel, just ask yourself this question. Am I looking for counsel or am I looking for agreement? Second Samuel 24, 20. It's the story that I was just telling you about David. and He, he didn't listen to the counsel. David went on and he numbered all the people. And, and so God got mad at him and... God ends up killing one-third of the army. One-third of his army had to die. All those people. And when I first read that story, it kind of aggravated me. I'm like, God, why didn't you let him die? Why did one-third of the army have to die because of some dumb thing that he did? Well, why do other innocent people have to get hurt because one person does some dumb thing? Decides to do what they know God doesn't want them to do or act like an idiot or... But then the people around them, the people under their influence, they're the ones that get hurt. A third of the army died as a consequence. That doesn't even seem fair. Other people got hurt. Yeah. Remember, you're building... 
If you're building with love and life, your building materials will be relationships and people. But if you're building with destruction and sin and hurt, then you're hurting the people around you. You know anybody like that? It's just, it hurts to love them. Like, they're so broken that when you hug them, you get cut. And you know that. When you allow yourself to love them or be in relationship with them, you get hurt. So that's your choice. If I'm going to be in relationship with that person, I'm going to constantly get hurt. I know some people like that. David was king. So he hurt a whole lot more people than the peasant down the road. Why? Because he had great influence. We pray for great influence. God, give me influence. I want to be powerful. I want to be, I want to, you know, I want to do things in your kingdom. I want to be a world changer. We want great influence, but we don't want great responsibility. With the more influence you get, the more responsibility you have. The more damage you can do. See, the more good you can do with more influence and more money and more whatever it is that God gives you. Yeah, the more good you can do, but there also the more damage you can do. You ever heard anybody say, I'm not hurting anyone but myself. You know how many times people have told me that? I go to try to help them or talk to them or pick them up somewhere or whatever. Man, leave me alone. I'm not hurting anybody but myself. Every time somebody's ever said that to me, it was a lie. In fact, they hurt me when they said that. Because that let me know they didn't realize or either they weren't willing to admit how many people and how badly they were hurting others. You don't just affect you. Your your decisions don't just affect you. The things that you choose to build with your life, it's not just about you. Unless you're not a human, and maybe you can just disconnect and go away and it won't ever affect anybody else. I'm not hurting anyone but myself. That's never true. Some people are dangerous to love. David was hurting his own people. He was hurting his own army. They were dying because of him. Some people hurt people that they're connected to. But guess what? The opposite. If that is true, and we can agree that it is true. We all know people like that. We've all been people like that. Some of us are people like that. Like we, we can agree that that's true. But if that's true, then the opposite is true. So if I'm healthy and I'm living the life that God's called me to live, then I can be bringing healing to the people around me and the people under my influence and the, the expectation that I'm putting on people is going to make them better. See, it's going to give them life. It's life or life. If I can find healing for my brokenness in my areas and learn how to get back up and not just stay on the ground, then I can have the opposite effect of that person that that's what I want to be. I want to be in that place that Paul was talking about to where the people that are around me and the people that I have influence over and the people that I'm connected to and in their life, I'm, I'm not hurting them. I'm helping them. In fact, just by being in relationship with me, I want their world to get bigger. I want them to start thinking bigger and dreaming bigger and hoping more just because they're around me. Whether they know why or not. Just the connection. That's possible. That's true. And I expect that. I expect it out of myself. And I expect it out of you. 
If I'm healthy, I'm helping. If I'm broken, I'm hurting. Not just me. So look what David did. Now, I caught you up in the story. Uh, He's going to go make an altar to make things right because he realized all the people he's hurting and he's not okay with it. We've all hurt people. We're all hurting people. We have all done that. But we can choose to stop doing that and find healing and make it right. 2 Samuel 24, verse 20. I'm going to hurry up, wrap this up. And Aruna, let's call him John because we're going to read his name a lot in the next few minutes. And John looked and saw the king and his servants coming toward him. And John went out. And he bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And John said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? Uh Uh-oh. Why are you here? What's going on? And David said, To buy the threshing floor of thee, and to build an altar unto the Lord, that the plague may be stayed from the people. And John said unto David, Let my lord the king take and offer up what seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be oxen for burnt sacrifice. Well, he must have really not liked those oxen. Hey, try this one over here. Offer him for burnt sacrifice. Here, here's some oxen, the threshing floor. You can have what you need. Like, he had to be like that. David was the king. It wasn't that dude was just some generous fella. Yeah, take everything I have. Go ahead, burn it. Hey. No, he had to be, because David could just take it if he wanted it. David and his men could just take everything, burn it all. So he's like, yeah, take it. For burnt sacrifice and threshing instruments and other instruments of the oxen for wood. Here, just bust up my tools and use them for wood. Go ahead, that's okay. Verse 23, and all these things did John as the king. Wait a minute, did I skip ahead? And offer what? All these things did John as the king give unto the king. And John said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto John, No. I don't think so. But I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. David said, no, I appreciate it. You're going to give it to me, but I won't offer God an offering. That's not a sacrifice if it doesn't cost me anything. No. No, I'm going to sacrifice. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. That was a whole lot more than they were even worth. That was a lot for some oxen in the threshing floor. He paid dearly. And David built there an altar. He didn't have his servants do it. He didn't have the other men that were with him do it. He didn't have the guy do it because he just paid him a whole bunch of money. So, okay, just build me an altar. And that would have been right. He was the king. No one would have even batted an eyebrow. Like nobody would have said anything if he would have said, now y'all build an altar right there. He didn't. David got off of his king's horse, got down on his knees and built an altar. And David built there an altar unto the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. So the Lord was entreated for the land. And the plague was stayed from Israel. The highest expression of love is sacrifice. David made a sacrifice. He got down and what he do? He built something. He messed up great. He messed up bad. He hurt a whole lot of people. I've been there. What did he do? He made a decision to sacrifice. And do maybe he didn't feel like getting down on his knees and building an altar, but guess what? He did it. He made a sacrifice of his money. He paid more than even what it was worth, and he got down and he built something. 
to make it right. Some of us are in that place where you need to start building something to make it right. You need to be willing to come off of your horse and sacrifice. He built an altar for what? For the people. He wasn't sick. He didn't die. He could have just said, who cares? I lost a third of the army. Oh, well. We're still the most powerful people around. Ain't nobody messing with us. That's fine. No. He did it because he cared. And his life got big. And his influence got even bigger. And his power got bigger. Here's a question for you. What are you building? What are you sacrificing? Are you happy in life? Look at what you're building. Look at your sacrifice. What did you expect? What are you expecting out of life? I'm going to read you that, that Scripture one more time, this time out of the NIV, and we'll close with just some thoughts about that, and I'll pray. Philippians 1. 20. I eagerly expect, Paul's saying, this is what I expect. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. You don't hope to have sufficient courage if you don't think you're going to need courage. Trust me, you're going to need courage. For what God's called you to do and to live this kind of life that we're talking about, you're going to need courage. You're going to face some giants and some battles and some scary stuff, and it's okay. Paul said, it's all right. I expect and I hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death doesn't matter. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you. It's more necessary for you. That I remain. He's like, yeah, I would like to go on, but that's why he's staying. It's for them. For the connection, for the people, for the church that he was building, that God was building and using him, his purpose. I stay for you, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain. And I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. What do you expect? Life or death? What was Paul saying? Death, you're nothing to me. Death, you're dead to me. I lived my life to the full every day so that when I die, even that's gain. You know, the people that are afraid to die are usually the people that were afraid to live. They never really lived life. They never really gave their all. They never really walked in purpose. That's the ones that are afraid to die. Paul was like, I'm, man, I've put it all out there. I've given everything i got to give. If I die, that's cool. You can be there too. It's life and life. Do you know hope can't exist in the past? It doesn't. No hope in the past. Hope's in the future. Hope for the future. So, if hope is in the future, 
and we need hope to move on and carry on. Hope can't exist in the past. It only exists in the future. And I was thinking about how everything that God gets involved with, there's always something new. New wine, new song, new covenant, new horizon. He gives us a new perspective. He said in Isaiah, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you see it? Get in on the new thing. What is, what is he saying? He's always creating. He's always creating something new. He's stepping into the timeline. I am. I'm creating. I'm, I'm building something new. A hope for the future. He is. I am. Right now. You ever heard somebody say, let's change history? I think that's kind of funny because that's the one thing you can't change. Well, let's change history. Well, you probably can't. But you know what you can do? Create the future. And when the future gets here, we'll be creating another future. Because that's where hope is. That's where hope is found. In creating the future. So if you want to have hope, then you need to still be creating. Because once you obtain the thing that you were hoping for that was out in the future, then if you don't create anything new, then you don't have any more hope. Because hope doesn't exist in the past. So if you're hoping to get married one day, your hope is tied to marriage. Well then, one day when you get married, you don't hope to be married anymore. Right, married people? That may have come out wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> you get what I'm saying? You know, goal obtained. Check. <laughs> now you don't hope for that because you're good with what you have. Let me explain myself. Okay? <laughs> I would like some chicken wings to eat while I watch the game today, so I need to make that a little more clear. <laughs> uh, so what happens? You get a new hope. And it's of something in the future. So then you walk in purpose and you live life and you expect that you're going to obtain that which you hope for. And then when you get to it, you get a new one. You're creating. We're, we're made to be creators. You can't change history, but you can make history. You want to know how? Create a future. Paul's posture in life was one of hope and expectation. Maybe our expectations are in the wrong place. Maybe we're expecting things from life instead of expecting things from ourselves. You don't expect courage if you don't expect to need courage. Paul is saying that I know my life will be full of challenges and I know that I'm going to need courage. You shouldn't just expect great things. You should expect great challenges. You should expect great pain. You know how you get better at fighting? Fight. Best way. Trust me. Sparring. Fight the good fight. Your hope and expectation should be that th should not be that things will get easier and that life will just happen. If I get in the zone or if I get in the flow or properly connected to the universe or however you want to say it, then every little thing, you're going to be all right. No. Oh, it's just going to happen. Smooth sailing from here on out. What, are you, what world are you living in? It's a false sense of reality. Every little thing's not going to be all right. I'm not trying to be discouraging here. <laughs> but that's not a good life. A warrior that never sees an opponent is not a warrior. A dragon slayer that never met a dragon has a purposeless life. It's okay if hard things come. Tough stuff happens. There will be battles and scars. And you can enjoy it and live through it. 
No, it's not just going to happen. Oh, man, I thought if everything got worked out that life would just happen. Hmm. If you just let life happen, then you will naturally gravitate to the lowest level of existence possible. Average just happens. And if you just let it happen, you will become mediocre. You will naturally move towards sea level. You know, you can lay down and roll down a mountain, but it takes some effort to go up. You make a decision to rise. God, I trusted you. This is what you let happen in my life. You let everything fall apart. We serve an all-powerful God that is not distracted by money, fame, strength, or anything that we're distracted by. And He knows exactly what we were created for and what we need to experience that greatness. He sees pain as a temporary condition, a blip in time. And to us, when we're in the middle of it, oh God, and He's like, what? What do you expect? I expect hope. I expect sufficient courage because I'm going to need it. I expect battles and giants and dragons. And yeah, I even expect pain. And I expect to come out victorious. I expect to leave my mark. I expect to make a difference. I expect life or life. I expect to get up. No matter how many times I get knocked down. There was a time in my life where everything inside of me said run. And some things outside of me said run. Like certain people. (laughs) Take your wife and your babies and detach. Run away. California's nice. (laughs) Go somewhere. Run. And I never really connected those two until I read that. Paul, he said to me, I could run away and it would probably be better for me. Honestly. But why did he stay? You. His purpose was to build the church. He said, it's better for you that I stay. And really, it was better for him too. He stayed connected in his purpose. I stayed because of what God has called me to build. And that's us. That's people, that's family, that's body. That's His body. I want to build what Jesus built. Jesus built humanity. Jesus built the church, the people. His last prayer was, hey, Dad, that they would be one just like me and you are one. The world will know that they're my disciples by their love for each other, by the way that they're connected and by what they choose to build. I expect great things out of you. Every one of you. I see greatness inside of you. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you that you love us. Thank you that we matter. God, thank you for giving us the chance to be powerful. God, thank you that we don't know everything. That we get to learn and grow and experience. God, thank you for love and joy and hope. Thank you for peace that doesn't even have to make sense. God, I thank you for healing. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and our minds. I ask you to grow us up. 
Help us to build with love. Help us to become healthy so that we can bless the people under our influence. And God, remind us that sacrifice is the greatest sign of love. We love you. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for us. Thank you that Tom Brady will never win another Super Bowl ring. And everybody that agreed said, <laughs> Amen. <laughs>